What I've learned is um, there's a lot of bad leaders out there. I think I worked for quite a few of them myself. And <laughs> even though that was painful at the time, I learned a lot from those people. I learned what not to do. And I think that if, if I had a revolution, it would be around effective leadership, you know, which in, would include being basically more human, you know, just expressing more humanity, more kindness, more compassion, really being in a place where you could lift people up and just help them excel and help them be high performers. Uh, I, that's what I would really like to see more of in the world. And I, I think, and we really need good leaders and everyone, in my opinion, can step up uh, to leadership. So I don't think of it as a positional thing. I think of it more as an internal, um, you know, mindset, an internal set of practices or habits. So that's what I would like to see. I don't know what I'd have to call. I'd have to think some about how, what I would actually call it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Meaningful Revolution podcast. I am your host, Sean Butner, and this is the podcast where we help you create and design a life that you find meaningful and help you and hope to inspire you to live more into it. Now, today's guest is the author of Becoming Deliberate, Changing the Game of Leadership from the Inside Out, a former senior executive turned entrepreneur. She's helped countless leaders achieve breakthrough success. She's also a fellow certified high performance leadership coach specializing in helping growth-minded business owners and executives build fully engaged, cohesive, high-performing teams. She's a senior faculty member at the Leadership Development Institute at Eckerd College and network associate for the Center of Creative Leadership. She's also the founding member of John Maxwell's teams of coaches, trainers, and speakers, and a certified facilitator for five behaviors of a cohesive team, everything DISC and productivity or productive conflict. She's an amateur photographer and avid traveler, currently based in St. Petersburg, Florida. I would love to introduce and, um, and excited to see our guest, Cheryl Benini-Ellis. Welcome, Cheryl. Oh, Sean, thank you so much. It's so great to see you and um, great to be part of your meaningful um, revolution. I just think that's awesome that you're doing this. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, that said, uh, the very first question I'm going to ask you is, if you could start a meaningful revolution out in the world, what would you call it? What would it look like? Uh, what would it be about? Well, I'm not sure what I would call it. However, it would be about leadership. And and I'll tell you what, I, I, I have been in this space a very long time. I worked in a corporate environment for a lot of years before I started my own practice. And... What I've learned is um, there's a lot of bad leaders out there. I think I worked for quite a few of them myself. And <laughs> even though that was painful at the time, I learned a lot from those people. I learned what not to do. And I think that if, if I had a revolution, it would be around effective leadership, you know, which in, would include being basically more human, you know, just expressing more humanity, more kindness, more compassion really being in a place where you could lift people up and just help them excel and help them be high performers. Uh, I, that's what I would really like to see more of in the world. And I, I think there's never been a better time for leadership and there's never been a bigger need for leadership than there is right now. We've seen you know, so much go wrong in the last you know, recent years uh, in our country, uh, in the world. 
And we really need good leaders. And everyone, in my opinion, can step up uh, to leadership. So I don't think of it as a positional thing. I think of it more as an internal um, you know, mindset, an internal set of practices or habits. So that's what I would like to see. I don't know what I'd have to call. I'd have to think some about how what I would actually call it. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, but I love that idea of we, I mean, we definitely do need more leaders. And we also, I, I think we can lead in so many more ways than we think in our day-to-day -day life. Whether you're on a team and leading the team from, you know, the ground level or executive, you're leading your family all the time. You know, it, it's not just in a business context. So I, I absolutely love that. So with, well, and it's not only, oh, you know, we think about whether you're leading a team or leading an organization or leading your family, but I think a big aspect of leadership is leading yourself. I mean, you and I are kind of personal development junkies, so we're, we're thinking <laughs> about this stuff all the time. But the reality is that most of us can start out with just doing a better job of leading ourselves and leading our lives and being better role models for other people. So that's a big aspect of leadership that we tend to forget about. Absolutely, and thanks for pointing that out. Um, so. Uh, so then I'm, I'm curious, I think this leads really well into the, the next question here, and that is, can you tell us about a time when, before you realized that you needed to lead yourself first, like what was going on, what happened, and then kind of how that, um, that was the catalyst for launching you forward in this work? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a great thing to think about because actually, um, you know, in my I would say this in my young 20s in particular, I, I was a pretty confident person. I mean, I thought I knew a lot more than I actually did know. <laughs> and it was easy for me to be critical of other people and the way they managed and the way they led. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started to have those opportunities myself to lead other people that I realized how challenging it could be. And especially you know, for example, as a young person who, who was suddenly thrust into a management role and the people that were working for me were um, younger than me, I mean, older than me, and they didn't really think that um, it was a good idea that I would be selected to be the manager of the team. Uh, so having to overcome some of those kinds of challenges, you realize that, first of all, this is not as easy as I thought it was. Uh, and secondly, I have a lot to learn. <laughs> and so I started to, I started to learn. I started to pay a lot of attention to what people were doing, what was working, what was not working. I did a lot of experimenting. I tried out a lot of things. Some of them worked, some of them didn't work. I realized that I had to think of myself as a leader in a lot of situations where I was more in, I was more tuned into what my role or what my job was and not so much uh, my role as leading other people and helping other people excel and helping them work together you know, as a team and accomplishing common goals and things like that. So there was just a long time learning process, but unfortunately, I don't really feel like I had a lot of good role models. So mm. it was kind of a sink or swim environment that I worked in. Um, people would ask me to take on challenges, and even if I didn't know how to do them, I would 
love those kinds of challenges because I'd say, I know I could figure it out. And so I, I took on a lot of things and had a lot of opportunities to learn by making a ton of mistakes. So I think, you know, it's just, it's really been a journey and, and it's one of those things, one of the things I love about this topic is that there's always room for growth. Mm-hmm. You can always get better at it. There's always another level, which is also the reason I love the work that we do as high performance coaches, because high performing, high achieving people know there's always another level and they're, and they may not know how to get there, but they know there's more. And so that's a, that's really, it's challenging, but it's also really fun to think about like what's next. How can I do better? How can I do more? How can I be more effective? Absolutely. You know, um, in my experience with, with leadership, you know, having worked at some really large corporations and having had opportunities that there's a huge sense of uncertainty, the higher up the leadership change or chain you go, you know, and I, mm. I found that like, you know, oh, I have all the answers as an independent con- contractor, but now that I have to kind of work and be like, where are we taking the team? Like, there's no right or wrong answer. Um, so as you were talking about, you know, finding those new challenges and, and really taking on things you didn't know, like, how did you manage the uncertainty of being the leader that's supposed to direct other folks and be, be confident in, hey, this is the way we're going? <laughs> well, there were two real, two really important milestones that I think every leader faces and, and some of us move through them and some of us get stuck. And the first one is when you can say with conviction, gee, it's not the way I would do it, but it's okay. In mm. other words, you really relinquish um, that sense of I ha- everything has to be done my way. Everything has to be done the way I expect it to be done. Uh, and, and you start, when you make, when you turn that corner, you start to get better at Um, expressing the goal that you're after or the outcome that you're after and allowing people to find their own way to that outcome. And when you can really truly um, say, you know, and be genuine about it and authentic about it, it's not the way I would do it, but it's okay. You know, you kind of let go of um, a level of ownership and people recognize that they see it. They, they, they start to, take more risks. They start to be more innovative. They start to be more creative. And those are all good things. So it actually takes the burden of leadership off your shoulders a bit because other people are taking more of the responsibility and to themselves. The, the other thing that I, the other time that I think is a, is a big milestone when you get to the stage where you have the confidence and the humility to hire people that are better than you are. Mm. Um, when I when I got to this stage, it was significant for me because I, I would it, you start to think that I have to have all the answers. I have to know where we're going. I have to know how to get there. But when you can really start to hire people that are smarter than you, that have a lot to contribute that you can't contribute, and you start to really build a team together, and and again have, you let go of some of the reins, if you will and really let other people lead the way or show the way. And, and then you're 
kind of leading from the back instead of from the front. That's another very liberating move when you get to that stage. So I think those are two big milestones that leaders face. And a lot of times they get stuck there. And I think for me, when I made those when I made those turns or made those realizations, I, I, it was it was very significant. It was a very significant jump for me to be able to do that. And as a result, I think when you're when you're really able to hire people that are smarter than you, you can you can manage huge projects that you have no idea how they're gonna how they're gonna work out or how you're gonna get there. You just have kind of a vague idea of what you're trying to accomplish, but you know that with the right people. Surround it, surrounding you, you can figure it out together. And that's a really, um, that's a really rewarding place to get to. So I think that's, a, you know, a long way of answering your question, but I think it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's part of the journey of getting to that stage that is um, just so meaningful for somebody who's serious about being a good leader. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so we're talking about this. We're talking about milestones. I'm thinking about my career and I'm thinking about, so being in engineering, you have a bunch of folks that are not stereotypically great at the people side of things. Sure. And I can count on, you know, so many different circumstances where people got promoted because they're really technical and then really struggle with that, that leadership follow-through because it's a completely different skill set and, and game. Uh, and so I love these two milestones because I, I do, it's about feeling empowered as a leader, but also empowering a team. So, so true. And so, you know, to your point, I, and I, one of the jobs I had along the way was I was the human resource business partner for the, um, the technical side, I worked in financial services, so it was the technical side of banking. It was all the you know, computer programmers, the systems, systems mm -hmm. analysts and all that. And I, so I'm smiling when you say, they're not always so good at the people side. Um, <laughs> one of the things that was great about that job was they felt I was good at the people side. They knew they mm -hmm. weren't, so they really, uh, they really leaned on me a lot and I was able to help them and they allowed themselves to be helped, which was awesome. You know, it was just a great partnership. Uh, but I but I see this happen all the time because someone is really good technically or it happens a lot in sales. The person who's the best salesperson suddenly becomes the manager of the sales team without the skills necessary to be a good leader. And very often they fail in those in those roles because there is a whole skill set involved in in being a leader and it is it's like a role in and of itself yeah. besides oh, yeah. what your besides what your um functional role might be in an organization just being a leader is you know a full-time a full-time undertaking <laughs> if you do it right right mm -hmm. oh definitely yeah and, and yeah when i think about the people that struggle the most it's the trying to like i'm going to do what i was doing before and then just do this kind of as an extra thing, not realizing you have to like change the mix of <laughs> how you're communicating, what you're communicating, all that, that planning and whatnot. Yeah, uh, because so, roles, uh, roles do drive behaviors, you know? So, so for example, if you're in that situation where you're a team member and then all of a sudden you're the manager, um, people are going to react differently to that change. Some of them mm -hmm. are going to be happy about it. Some of them <laughs> mm -hmm. are going to be relieved that it's not them. And other people are going to be resentful because they think that 
they would have made a better choice than you. So there's always just a lot of dynamics, a lot of human dynamics to work mm -hmm. with. Um, and, and that's what makes leadership so challenging is, you know, we're dealing with humans and humans are <laughs> complex and they're complicated and they're not easy. They're not simple. Yeah, exactly. The humans, take me a quick note here. Um, and so if you're listening, please be taking notes. I already have like a page. Um, I always forget to, to tell people at the beginning to get out their journals. So trying to get ahead of that. Um, I, so I, the next question that's popped up that I'm curious about is, um, I imagine in your job, because you're talking, I mean, these human dynamics are really important and also form like the company culture. So how do you go in and, and assess if a company's culture has like leadership in the DNA or not. So I've worked at a couple of different companies. One was really good that if you were to get promoted, it had to be on a different team in a different area where nobody knew you. So you'd start fresh. So you didn't have some of those, like you were my buddy and now you're the, the corporate overlord. And that really breaks my spirit or causes a lot of uh, personal conflict. Um, and another one that's just like, oh, you're the smart person, you get elevated and then you sink or swim and they were better at demoting people that weren't living up, but it's just two different examples of, of leadership culture um, in an organization. Yeah. How, how do you think about that? Well, I, I really like to use, um, personally, I like to use assessment tools because I think assessment tools are an objective way to figure out like what people are good at and what they need help with. Because um, none of us is good at all the things that leadership requires. Mm -hmm. We just aren't. I mean, it's just anytime I ask people, um, think about the really good leaders that you've worked for or known in your life and what were some of the traits that those good leaders had and you start flip charting that, you know, making a list. Um, it's a big list people have really high expectations of their leaders. So hardly anybody could ever fit the total bill. So mm -hmm. one thing to find out is, you know, what really is my style of leadership, my style of communication, and how do I interact How do I interact with people? Am I effective at that or not? If not, where not? So that um, I can work on that. So a really big part of being a great leader is having a high level of self-awareness. And I think a high level of self-awareness is another one of those things that you could keep working at. You know, there's always more to learn. I, I, I have once described myself as an assessment junkie because I think I've taken every <laughs> assessment under the sun. And every time I take one, I learn something about myself that I didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And it's because there's a lot of information and, and you if you're, if you're um, open to it, you read the information and then you just kind of pay attention going forward to see how that plays out for you. And you, you just learn, you learn some things that are very helpful to know. So I'm a big believer in assessments. One of the things we do with leaders and organizations is we do this kind of 360 assessment mm, where okay. um, they measure themselves. Their, their boss also measures them, their peers measure them and their direct reports measure them. And, so you see, you see yourself from all these different perspectives. And one of the things people often learn is one size does not fit all. 
<laughs> in fact, the first time I did this, it was a big aha moment for me because I realized that things that my boss thought were strengths, my direct reports didn't see it that way and vice versa. Things that my team thought were st strong points, my peers might've thought, yeah, this is not working. So you really have to learn that different constituencies require different things. So you have to build your relationships one at a time um, mm -hmm. in all the different directions. So I think having some type of tool to figure that out is very helpful. I, I also would, would say, honestly, anybody who's trying to be a good leader, a good manager should have a coach. I just don't, it's, it's just, it's just too hard out there without having, you know, some source of, you know, a person that you can rely on that's, you know, just there for you that can be, um, that can listen to the challenges you're having that can, um, you know, help provide a different perspective that can challenge you to think a little differently or, um, to do something that you normally wouldn't think to do. So I think having a coach is really critical. So a combination of assessments and coaching are, are two of the things that I think are really, really critical to having good leaders in organizations. And then just making the investment. I mean, companies should make the investment in um, training and development, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's internal or external, just making sure that you have a plan to help leaders grow is is really important. So I, I hope that helps. I mean, those are some of the things that I think of when I think of trying to help people improve their leadership capability and um, credibility. Yeah, that, that's absolutely helpful. And to tack onto it, I think I have a very strong belief that you should be training for a leader as soon, like, as, soon as possible because it's a, it takes a while to develop that skill, and by the time you're in it, if you don't haven't been exercising those or thinking about it, like you're in for a much rougher ride, in, in my humble opinion. So I'm always great. that is such a great point, Sean, and it's one of the things that um, you know John Maxwell, who's who's one of the foremost authorities on leadership in this country, and I think in the world for that matter, he's written probably more books on the subject than anybody. And as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm a member of his founding team of um, trainers and coaches. And, you know, I learned so much from that man. Um, but one of the things he talks about is that idea that you need to start training for leadership or management way before you, you actually have the responsibility. Because uh, just, you know, just watching what people do and, and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And so you can adapt your own style of of leadership of management and still be really authentic you know this because mm -hmm. i think people see through the lack of authenticity if you're trying to be like someone else i would say just be yourself because everybody else is taken but because <laughs> let's face it i mean people see through it they they really we are hardwired to read body language and we know when people aren't being authentic with us mm-hmm Especially, and it's especially a uh, perilous thing when you're entrusting your career to, you know, development to someone or that the team will go into the the strategy of navigating an organization with politics and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, it, the stakes are a lot higher than I think people realize, too, sometimes. Sure. Um, so, I'm curious now then, you know, 
what if you were if you were to define what makes a great leader and you know maybe start generally and maybe get down to like what are like some specific skills people need to have if you're going to be an effective leader and and take the job seriously i guess you know you're going to play it full time and step into that role fully yeah well i think one of the things that um it takes to be a great leader is something i call an open mind and an open heart and and that goes to the point we were talking about earlier about not always having to have the answers or be the last word but also be, being willing to be that when it's required you know so having an open mind and an open heart means you know you're willing to listen and learn but it doesn't mean that you're willing to abdicate your responsibility it means that you take in a lot of information and then you make a decision that's an informed decision so i think I think that's a really important thing. I, I think just having the right mindset about leadership, like asking yourself, why do I want to be a leader? Uh, you know, and I'm talking here about being a leader of a team. Do I want to be the leader of the team because there's a prestige associated with it? Because it gives me power? Because maybe it's more money or um, just a sense of some kind of entitlement, you know, that I can tell people what to do and they have to do it. Or do you want to be a leader because you have a genuine desire to help people improve, get better, to grow, to thrive, to, you know, you want to empower people to be their best version of themselves. Um, so there's a, that's a big um, spectrum and we all fall somewhere on that spectrum, but I think it's really important to know that going in, like, you know, what's your motivation? And then I think that it's kind of this willingness to be um, a forever learner. We say this like leaders are learners. You, you really have to invest in yourself in some way, whether it's having a coach or whether it's um, reading you know, a ton of books or just being really observant about what other people are doing or attending leadership conferences, just doing things that will help you get better at the craft of leadership and, and that willingness to learn. I mean, I'm sure you do too. I read a ton of books every year. Um, a lot of them are about leadership. Uh, a lot of them are about communication. A lot of them are about psychology and, and neuroscience, because I think all of those things are necessary in order to be effective at leadership. So uh, beyond that, I, I would say, some of the skills that are really, really critical. One of them is communication. And we use that word so easily and so lightly, but good communication is really a challenge. I mean, you, your responsibility in communication is making sure that the person heard what you needed them to hear. And it isn't, I mean, there's so much that can go wrong in, in a communication. <laughs> there's kind of what you think you said, um, what the other person heard, what you think the other person heard, what you what what the other person thinks about what you said. You know, there's a lot that can go wrong in a communication between two people, much less when you're communicating to a large group of people. So being um, always uh, striving to be a better communicator, and a big part of that is the that willingness to listen as an active listener, as someone who's listening to understand, 
you know, to, to really understand like, where's this person coming from? You know, how are they feeling? What, what are the, what are their challenges? I really want to know where they are so that I could come up along beside them and help them move forward. So that kind of communication and listening becomes real, really critical. And um, beyond that, I mean, I just think that I, I like to say this, being, being a better leader is about being a better person. So I think to me, leadership development is all about personal development. And, you know, you and I are people who invest a lot in personal development. I'm a big believer in it. I've been a big believer in it for a long time. I, the more I know or learn, the more I realize, the less I know mm -hmm. um, about me, about other people, about interacting with other people. So it's a constant, you know, it's a constant challenge and there's always room to grow. And it's one of the things I love about the work that I get to do is that there's always room to grow. <laughs> and, and in the growth, there's always room to help other people grow as well. So, you know, that old adage about if you want to learn a topic, teach it. Mm -hmm. uh, I started teaching um, these leadership development programs uh, through the Center for Creative Leadership. And my understanding of leadership and its challenges has grown exponentially in that. And I've learned mm -hmm. so much from the students, from the participants, um, from their challenges, from the things that they struggle with. Um, sometimes I'm able to help them and, you know, sometimes it's a little harder to help because, <laughs> you know, they have very complicated challenges that they're dealing with. Right on. So. Is there anything in particular from teaching that you've learned that really surprised you about leadership in general? Um, I guess. I don't know if it was really surpri surprising, but I guess it never, it never ceases to amaze me um, when I work with a group, how much people are struggling. Mm. And even the people who look like and sound like good leaders, I mean, they're saying the right things, they seem very sincere, uh, they, they, still, they still struggle. Either they struggle with their confidence or they struggle with their relationships with certain people. Mm -hmm. They have big challenges with conflict in their organizations. So I think the thing that continually surprises me is how much people struggle. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of takes us back full circle to what I talked about is I think a lot of people are even in their leadership role, they're working, they're working for someone else who's not necessarily an effective leader who, who isn't mm -hmm. helping them, who isn't um challenging them who isn't they might they might have sent them to a leadership development program but these people go back to an environment where um good leadership is not that common so they don't really get necessarily to put into place and to practice the things that they've learned and and they and they struggle with that and so you know i hear that i hear that fairly constantly and it does get a little discouraging at times to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, my own mission is to just impact as many people as I can and help them be better at better at this, better at <laughs> better at leadership, better at life, all those things. Right on. Yeah, it, it so I'm rem reminded of 
something I learned way back in organizational theory class in college, where the uh, professor said something along the lines like, you will have to manage up, and that is a very important skill. So thinking of leadership in the reverse direction, um, so that phrase kept bouncing around while I was listening. And so I was wondering, like, do you have, like, how do you think about managing up? Because um, it seems like that's a, really aligned to your core mission. Yeah, it's a great, you know, it's a great um, point. And I, I'm really so glad you brought this up because it is one of the biggest challenges when I coach people individually as leaders. I, I think one of the things I'm going to, let me just think, I, I think I could say this almost 100%. Almost 100% of the time. I'm helping them manage their relationship with their boss mm-hmm. almost 100% of the time <laughs> at some point in the process. At some point it comes to that. It, it could be just a, it could be just a small challenge that they're having that they really need to kind of role play and think through how to deal with it. Or it could be an ongoing conflict that they're trying to f- make sense of for themselves. Like, can I stay in this organization and continue in this environment with this person, or do I need to make a change? I mean, you know, that's a pretty big gamut, but I, I can't think of a, I can't think of a person that I've coached who's in a, in an organization. Cause I coach executives and I coach business owners and business owners, you know, more or less their own boss, they have different right. issues, but the people <laughs> in organizations are really at one point or another, having a struggle with managing the relationship with their boss. So um, I, I really like to, I really like to ask about that um, on a fairly frequent basis. You know, how are you, how are you doing? How are you and your boss getting along? Mm-hmm. What, what challenges do you have? What, what's that relationship like? What are you getting from that person? What, what are you giving to that person? Because there's this old saying, I think it was Zig Ziglar that said it first, you can help, you can get anything you want in life if you help enough, enough other people get what they want. Mm. And it's so true. And it's so true of your relationship with your boss. Like I like to have people think about what is it that's important to your boss? Do you know what's most important to your boss? And what are you doing to help them get that? So how are you supporting them? How are you helping them? And, and a lot of times people haven't even thought about that mm-hmm. because they just think, you know, that person's responsible for telling me what to do. I, you know, I, I'm not responsible for them, but you can make your life a lot easier if you figure out what's important to your boss and you try to align your own activities and priorities against, you know, up against that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying to do that inauthentically. I'm saying, figure it out, like figure out how you and I can align around um, the outcomes that we're looking for and what we're going to do when we don't align. Mm-hmm. So I just think that the person being managed has just as much responsibility in that relationship as the boss does sometimes more because a lot of times the boss is not aware that there's an issue. They think everything's fine because people tend to act as if things are fine, even when they're not. So I, I think you have a responsibility when things aren't fine to help mm-hmm. fix them. I'm a big believer, Sean, and I know you are too, in you know taking personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, 
whatever that whatever that means in the situation you know you may not be responsible in the sense that it's your fault but you need to take responsibility to move things forward you know just find a way like i don't know how this happened but let's figure out what we can do to move forward yeah i'm not taking the blame i don't i don't think i am to blame i don't care who is to blame let's figure out how we have to move forward so yeah i i think maybe a little unconventionally about that relationship than other people do but uh i think it's a big responsibility to be part of a team and to do the best you can for your organization and for your the person who's who you're responsible to absolutely like I, it, it's so funny how people struggle on teams and usually it's because it, it's not there's no awareness for anyone else you know i, I think if we could mm. zoom out of this conversation it, it's being aware of yourself and everyone around you it's being curious to figure out what's really going on before jumping into action um and i, I think that is such an important thing like for the, the my best managers, I knew exactly what they were going for. I know what they were measured on and I knew how to communicate like, Hey, this will help you have this number, which helps the team, which helps everyone, which helps the organization move forward. So it, it, it's, um, yeah, it, it's such, I just, it, we're not typing this out, but this should be like triple underlined in the conversation. This is such an important point. Um, so thinking I agree. Now, I, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I, I just think it's something that people miss a lot. And, you know, we see it sometimes um, when we do the 360 type review and we and we see the feedback that people sometimes get from their boss. Here's something that can be surprising is, mm. you know, people tend to get pretty shook up about those 360s sometimes because it's it's news. You know, it's not what they thought at all. Here's what people think of me. It's really different than what I thought they thought of me. And especially when it's the boss, because it, to me, it shouldn't come as a surprise what your boss thinks of you. You should know mm -hmm. that. You should be asking about that. Yeah. And maybe your boss isn't being honest. That could be. But for the most part, that shouldn't come as a surprise. And if it does, shame on the boss and shame on you both. Because, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to hide behind a you know, the anonymity of an assessment to say what you should be should be talking about in real mm -hmm. in real life, real communication. So but it happens a lot. And I see it. And, you know, people are devastated sometimes by what they learn in their 360s. And it's tough love, you know, they've got it. It's <laughs> really, good. you know, it may be difficult to read and it may be difficult to take in, but it's really important for you to know. Absolutely. And I think this is, this feels like a really natural place to, again, to plug coaching because the 360 is among your peers. And I think there's a social element that makes it kind of brutal from what I've seen in organizations, you know, like I thought we were cool and that, you know, I'm getting this honest feedback. And of course, if you really want to serve, like you'll realize that, oh, I'm, I'm triggered emotionally right now. I need to deal with that emotion and then okay, I now have information to move forward. Uh, whereas a coach can help you find blind spots 
in a way that's a little bit more private. And I think that's super, if anyone is on a team leading, um, I'll make that case over and over again that it's much easier on your feelings. You could probably get just as good as, uh, of a an outcome, not 100%, like, you know, something. sometimes your perspective of your team doesn't really match what's really going on, which is why the assessment, I think, is so awesome. But um, yeah, yeah, having that private conversation of like, where are your blind spots? And let's have a process to help you learn that about yourself before it becomes a problem super important yeah one of the um the, the the 360 that we use i mean among among the things it does is it measures um certain skills that are really important for leaders to have but it also measures um how you do against the things that are that typically derail people um from their mm -hmm. desired path and you know and they're just the kinds of things you can imagine they're they're, they're all interpersonal things you know they're just ability to interact with people effectively and you know sometimes people um have a real hard time with that you know managing conflict with other people because we'll just we'll just be conflict avoidant you know we want to make sure we don't want to rock the boat we don't want to have a conversation with somebody that we think is gonna hurt their feelings or that they're gonna take it badly but those things don't go away on their own they only get worse mm -hmm. so making sure that you and, and this is where a coach can be so helpful, is just helping you set up that conversation to have it in a real productive way that helps you achieve the outcome that you're after. And it, it doesn't have to be contentious, I guess is the mm -hmm. word I would use. It could be really very beneficial to both parties if it's approached the right way. I love one of the things that Brendan has said to us about, you can say anything if you've positioned it correctly, <laughs> right? Yeah, frame it up. You frame it up, and then you say it. You can, and I, and I've always lived by that. You know, you tell people this is going to be difficult, a difficult conversation that we need to have, but we need to have it. Absolutely, and having you, you need to be able to speak the truth in leadership. Because that's how everyone knows, okay, this is a problem or this is our way through this problem to get back into momentum and back into, into the future. And I, I absolutely love that uh, framing insight from Brendan Burchard, too, who is yeah. both of our it's mentors. One of my favorites. It was one of my favorites from this past uh, summit that we were at together. Yeah, me too. Like, I, yeah, I took so many notes on that. And that could be a whole other podcast on just it what happened at be. the summit. <laughs> Might yeah, have to work on be. that. I know um, could be a, could be one for sure. That was um, <laughs> was awesome. Right on. Um, so I think you. So I like to ask this question, and I'm going to be direct with it because I think we kind of hinted around it. So, um, what kind of mindset or belief do you have about leadership that's uncommon amongst other leaders or other folks in this space? Um, okay, I think that one of the things is, um, well, certainly a level of responsibility, a level of personal responsibility that I think people should take around leadership in all directions, you know, and it, and it means different things in different relationships. So um, that's one thing. The other thing is when I think about the roles that I've played um, over the years, I, I really think of leadership as a big responsibility for sure. 
but also a really big privilege. Mm. Now, when I facilitate a group of leaders at the Leadership Development Institute, one of the things I always say to them at the end of the week is, you know, it's a privilege to do this work. And it's a privilege to help um, help shape leaders. But I think that's that's a that's a true statement for anybody that's in leadership. That being a leader is a privilege that you should not take lightly. And you're kind of like a steward of your team. And there was somebody there before you. There's going to be somebody there after you. And your job is to just make you know, have the best positive impact you can have on that group of people as a team and as individuals in the time that you have the privilege of leading them. And so it's just, I, I look at leadership in that way and I don't necessarily test other people to, if they're leading that way, but it is the standard that I hold myself to. Mm. So, uh, I, you know, that's when I see it with other people, I'm delighted. But these days, I'll just take some basic um, human uh, human behavior, you know, like being being human, mm-hmm. be, you know, sharing humanity, um, being kind and compassionate, and curious without judgment of other people. I think, um, you know, those are to me those are those are the standards, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more there, but at least that. Right on. I love that. Um, and so now I have to, I want to ask about something that's currently going on in leadership, which I think is a really good case study. And maybe you're following it, maybe not. But um, how do you think through Twitter and Elon Musk taking over? Because oh it's God. really interesting I can see a bunch of different ways where it's pretty good and there's some huge deficiencies, I think, of having worked in tech and understanding how organizations and people work. But what are your like thoughts on all of yeah, that? You know, I honestly don't know what to think about that. And that, that is a that is a true <laughs> statement because <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, it's it's like watching a train wreck in a way. You know, it's kind of like I just don't get what's going on. I I get that Elon Musk um, has a degree of genius. I get that. He's certainly done some incredible things. And then I see these moments of um, it just, I just don't get it. You know, it's like, why would you do that? What, what, what was the, what was the reason behind it? Um, I can't, I can't think with him on any level. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for me to have an opinion. I just know that um, I feel, here's the thing is, I feel bad. I feel badly for the people that work there because it mm-hmm. must be on a daily basis. It's like, it's gotta be like getting battered back and forth, like a tennis ball almost, you know, it's just like, uh, I, there's no sense. I don't, I don't see what the sense of direction is. Mm-hmm. And I think when there's no direction, it's hard for people to align around where they're going. And when there's no alignment, there's hard for there to be commitment about, you know, commitment or buy-in to, yeah, okay, I get what we're trying to accomplish and I'm in. And in a, in a case like that, where things are just changing on a daily, maybe hourly basis, how do you get any sense of grounding? 
Mm-hmm. So I do think when I look at that from a leadership, I think it's a failure of leadership for sure, because I think that a leader's responsibility is to help people feel grounded with a sense of direction and also, um, you know, just the ability to align around some common goal or some common mm-hmm. outcome that you're trying to achieve. And then, you know, getting people to commit to that, what their what their contribution is to that. And I don't see any of that happening there. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of feel sorry for the people that are, I feel badly. I shouldn't say I feel sorry because they're making a choice to be there or not, maybe. Um, it's just, it's not, it isn't, it isn't the kind of leadership that, that I like to see in an organization by any stretch. Mm-hmm. So I hope that helps. I mean, I, it's hard to have an opinion about it though, because I, I, I don't understand it. I just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are in that boat. Um, but I, I think about it quite a bit and like, yeah, the, the thing that I'm most curious about is like, if you need to sell the farm, you don't have to burn it while you're in the process of making changes. And it seems like there's a lot of of unnecessary pain being inflicted, but um, I think it's interesting, the challenge of like, if you want to be here, really be here, you know, and it's it's really complex. I don't know what to make of it myself, but. So would you uh, like to be his coach? (laughs) I have thought about that and I don't, I don't think so, actually. I think I would love to help and serve him in that way. I'm not sure he's uh, taking applications for other people's opinions. Is Yeah, um, I don't necessarily consider him coachable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. So, unfortunately, but hmm. we'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. I'm sure business schools and leadership institutes will be talking about this for years to come. Oh, this will be a big case study for Harvard Business School, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, I was curious as we're wrapping up, um, if there were two or three habits for new leaders to start or established leaders to really lean into to up their leadership, what uh, would be your initial kind of suggestion I guess there's two different folks. It's beginners and then people that are currently leading. Um, yeah, um, sure thing. I, I think number one would be appreciation. Show mm. more appreciation for people. I think that I don't know anybody, and I ask this question a lot of people if they're if they feel appreciated, and I think more than more often than not that answer to that question is not enough. Not enough feedback, not enough recognition, not enough appreciation. And I think that's, those are really important things to be providing to people, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of honest feedback, um, appreciation and, and recognition of the contributions that they're making or the struggles that they're having and overcoming. Um, Just being really cognizant of that and finding ways to um, make it a habit now and believe me sometimes people tell me that they orchestrate their appreciation so they have a time of day when they send an email out to someone on their team um, 
with something specific about what they did, but it's actually, they have to schedule it to remember to do it. And I, I don't have any problem with that. I think as long as the message is authentic and it's specific, uh, I don't, you know, do whatever you have to do to make it the right kind of habit. Um, but I think appreciation is first and foremost, but also just being teaching yourself. You know, the second thing I would say is learning. Mm-hmm. Just never stop. Uh, I don't care if you're new at this or you've been doing it forever. There's always more that you can learn. Make learning a habit. You know, read good books, listen to good podcasts, um, attend, you know, attend uh, development, leadership development programs, look online for, you know, what, what things you can learn. There's so much information out there. There's so much really good information out there. So be a learner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing is like, and it may not go with the other two, but don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. Um, it's not all about you. It really is about the people that you're trying to help. And when you do that with great sincerity and an open mind and an open heart, people will forgive a lot of mistakes. Believe me, I, I can tell you that. I made mm-hmm. a ton of mistakes. And when I owned a mistake and just said, look, I... I don't know why I went off the rails here, but I did. I apologize. Let's figure out how to move forward now. People are very forgiving. People are very understanding when you're when you approach them with an open heart and an open mind and and you know just genuine desire to help and serve. So those are I guess those are the three things I would I would say. Oh, that's fantastic and solid solid advice um it on a side note like one of the coolest things about interviewing friends and, and folks here is just seeing how a lot of the people that i do know have a lot of shared values um which has been super surprising at how mo- much more aligned i am with, with folks um and so i would stand by that that those pieces of advice myself but um just wanted to point that out and acknowledge well, that. Thanks. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thank, uh, thanks for saying that. You know, I, I think you're right, though, about um, I think one of the great things that you get to do for, in your seat is is just, you know, learning some of the things that go on behind the scenes with people that we we know and we interact with. But we don't we don't know a lot. We mm-hmm. don't know everything for sure. And yeah. uh, what a great opportunity to have this exchange of ideas here, Sean, and and <laughs> talk through some of these things that are so important to me. I appreciate well, yeah. that. I, I'm, I'm, I feel very honored to be able to hold this space and this is, is super, super fun. So before we wrap up, uh, another question I've been asking folks more recently is, um, is there anything that you could share on the podcast today that you haven't maybe in another interview podcast book or piece of content? Uh, about leadership? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, you know, and I heard, I've heard you ask this to other people, so I should have really probably thought about it before. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't, nothing comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I just, I'm so, one of the things that I think is, um, okay, I, I, I have something. I think one of the things that is a, has been a struggle for me over the years is this whole idea of being 
really present. And so one of the things I do routinely uh, is to work on that. So I meditate. I have not, I have been meditating for over 10 years. I have not missed a day in it in more than four years. Wow. Uh, yeah. That meditation practice is really important for me. It's made a huge difference in my life. It is the thing that has allowed me to be more present. So for example, when I'm, when I'm teaching or coaching, uh, I think presence is so critical, you know, mm -hmm. to, really be there in the moment. Now, when you're trying to do that from eight in the morning till six at night, that's exhausting to be that present. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I really want to be there every minute hearing everything that's going on, whether I'm in the front of the room or not. So working on being more and more present all the time. And, and I think, um, I think if there's, you know, one thing I probably haven't shared is that that, that has been a bit of a struggle for me and I've had to work really hard at it. Um, and I think it would surprise people to know that about me. Mm. Wow. Yeah, surprised me. So <laughs> um, I practiced I, a lot. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. That's that's why. <laughs> well, I just want to honor that that recognition in yourself, and then the work to course correct. Um, and, then, and so I'm also curious then, like. Is there anything you do specifically to be aware when you're not present? Like, I know that sounds like a weird question. We'll see if it works, but. Yeah, no, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think, um, well, again, with meditation, one of the things that you um, recognize and, you know, we, we call it, they call this uh, monkey mind, you know, where you're, mm -hmm. a lot of people tell me I can't meditate because my, my, you know, my head is just like, ideas are just bouncing around constantly in my head and that's monkey mind. And uh, by the way, even with 10 years of practice, I have that too. There are <laughs> days where I meditate and at the end of the meditation, I say to myself, I don't think I was here at all. I was mm -hmm. completely somewhere else. And now the bell went off time is up and I don't think I got anything from it. And my meditation teacher one time said to me, Cheryl, don't judge it which was probably the best advice um, I could have gotten. So I just try to, when I catch myself and I, and that could be after a moment or it could be after many moments. I, when I realize I'm not being present, I just try to get, you know, centered again and maybe take a deep, couple deep breaths or something just to get me back in the space where I want to be. Um, and I just make a point of, um, ignoring devices and things like that when I'm having a conversation with people. Cause I had a boss once who, whenever he was having a conversation with me, he was always like looking over my shoulder, trying mm. to figure out who else was in the room that he that he wanted to talk to that was more important than me. Mm. And I always remember that little visual. Like I want to make sure that people realize when I'm in conversation with you, that you're important to me. I, I want you to know that I'm, this is important to me to have this conversation. So I, I, I try not to be distracted in, the, in that. And, you know, as soon as I realize I'm, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, I try to course correct. Right. Um, yeah, I, I love that. It's something I think secretly we all could use a little more work in and, and being present. Um, I manage it by making sure during the day I do some type of physical activity, like going for a walk or 
I find sometimes when I have that monkey mind, it's actually physical energy that I just need to get out of my great. body. So, but yeah, everyone has has their own tactics and, and tips and, and tricks. And so I'm always curious about how, how people manage that. So thanks for sharing. Sure thing. Um, so uh, with that said, um, let's, let's wrap up. Like, where can the people follow up with you, learn more about you, order your book, um, get involved in, in leadership after this conversation? Well, sure. Um, well, Sean, I think I sent, sent over to you a, um, a Linktree um, mm -hmm. link. Did you see that? Yep. Are you familiar yeah. with Linktree? I'm, I kind of, I, I haven't really explored what Linktree is, but. Well, what I love about it is it's one link. And if people, if you share that link with people, they can go into um, a whole menu of ways to contact me. So it could be everything from social media to um, email. Um, I think there's a link there. There's a button there to get a free copy of my book by going to my website, um, signing up for my newsletter and any other um, freebies that I happen to have at the moment, because that link is a live link and I can always update what's behind it. Okay. So that for now, that is really the best way for people to um, connect with me because all the options are there. And I only recently became aware of that tool. And I think it's pretty awesome because <laughs> before I would have this whole list of connect with me on LinkedIn and connect with me mm -hmm. on Facebook and connect with me, you know, go to my website and do this and do that. And just too many things. So now I could just do one thing <laughs> and people could choose what the best way that they want to interact with me. Right on. Okay. I love that. I do a version of Linktree. It's just a, page of links on my website. So I get that idea. That'll be in the show notes. So if you're watching this on YouTube or it's you're listening to it wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find that below. Cheryl, thank you so, so much for this amazing conversation. I love nerding out about leadership with you. Um, I'm actually going to do some journaling after this because I'm remembering a lot of things and I'm like, okay, I need, I want to capture that. But um, thank you for your presence. And thank you for the awesome discussion. Well, Sean, thanks for the opportunity. It's been so great having this conversation with you. I've really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I don't know, you know, it's always fun for me to talk about this topic, but I really just loved your questions and, and your insights. And it was really, it was really a lot of fun. Thanks for the opportunity. Of course, hopefully you'll come back here in a little bit and we can have another, you know, part two conversation. That would be awesome. Love to so, do that anytime. Awesome. With that, folks, um, please make sure you comment on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps the podcast out the most. Otherwise, you could go wherever you listen to podcasts to um, you know, comment or like if you're not subscribed yet. Uh, really do appreciate y'all. Have a great um, day, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Meaningful Revolution podcast. Take care. I hope you loved this episode of the Meaningful Revolution podcast. And if you did, please share this with three of your friends to get the word out and direct them to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave a comment because that's what really helps us with the show. So you can also direct them to Spotify or Google. So most major podcasting platforms, you can find the Meaningful Revolution podcast. So, but Apple helps us out the most. So please direct your folks to there if you would. 
If you would like to start your personal Meaningful Revolution, I have some exciting news. This year, we're starting the um, Meaningful Revolution Challenge. First one being the first week in January. So sign up in the link below in the show notes here to spend three days for free live with me where we'll go over defining and getting clarity on your personal meaningful revolution, that fulfilling transformation, that authentic self to show up in this next year. We'll spend on the second day building your plan so that you know what you need to do to make strides towards that personal meaningful revolution. And then thirdly, we'll talk about tips, tricks, and strategies to implement and to commit to your plan next year. So those are the three days. We'll have prizes. There'll be a chance to ask questions. There'll be a chance to, um, you know, get some coaching if you need some to in your particular situation to get you in the game, to get you moving forward, to get you into that meaningful revolution, that fulfilling transformation. Also, if you'd like some one-on-one -on -one time, there's two options also below here where you can sign up for a uh, strategy session. And the free strategy session I'll post on YouTube as part of a new series, full disclosure there. But during that call, you will get, you know, you'll fill out an application. It'll help you think about your life in a different way, get you kind of primed for our one-hour strategy session. It gives me a chance to identify some areas to focus on so that you get the most bang for your buck during that call. We go, we build you a personalized strategy plan going forward with um, tools and tricks and habits and, and all that kind of great stuff. And it's all focused and customized to your life. So definitely click on that. If you're like, hey, I don't want this on YouTube, I'd like it a little bit private, it's $200 for that one hour call. Please make sure you sign up today because I only have so many slots each week where I can do these calls and they fill up quick. So don't miss your chance to get one-on-one -on -one coaching, get your strategy plan, your strategy session locked in by clicking on those links below.